This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at Ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. This week's Performance Anxiety features photographer Jim Cummins. You may recognize his work with Jimi Hendrix, Led Zeppelin, Aretha Franklin, The Who, Stevie Wonder, and more. You may also recognize his work from things like the 1980 NBA All-Star Game. We're pleased to have Jim on as he starts a new lecture series, so please enjoy Jim Cummins. Hi, I'm Jim Cummins, photographer, videographer, consultant, and been doing this now for 51 years, and I'm doing this interview for Marche at Performance Anxiety. I know you have an event coming up uh, next weekend, is that right? Yeah, the 17th, yeah. I have a, uh, a workshop coming oh, up, uh, and it's based on uh, the topics will be the three areas of photography that, uh, or imagery as I call it now. I mean, you can't really call it photography. Anymore. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, the three areas of imagery that I've been involved in, uh, for the last 51 years, which is entertainment, sports, and, uh, journalism. Uh, I'll be speaking on convergence journalism, which is the new journalism. Okay. Oh, that sounds really interesting. So, yeah, I think it will be. It's going to be a lot of, uh, I, I want it to be something that's based on information that I can pass on. Okay. Because it's a it's a brand new ball game out here now as far as imagery. Oh god, yeah. Uh, you know, gone are the days of the dark room. Gone are the days of when you're getting assignments from a newspaper or a magazine, uh, and you have to be now um, take it the other way and be more creative and bring in your own stories. Yeah, and. Yeah. Uh, I, I think it's uh, I think that that's good. It's a big change. It's not a lot of money, but uh, you can I think if you're creative enough in this business right now, with all the things that are at your, you know, within reach that are on what I call a palette. Uh, you've got video. You've got stills. You've got cell phones. Uh, oh, yeah. You have to know lighting and writing is another important thing. Yeah. Uh, as well as as well as film, I mean, you could still take it back and do film. Um, 
so those those are the, the things that you you're dealing with now as far as um, being an image maker. Well, the the landscape, like you're saying, has definitely changed. Um, and regular listeners of the show would know that that uh, I used to be a photographer. I went to college for it and did it for a decade or so. And uh, I I miss the days of film. I really do. I was uh, mm-hmm. I went to Rochester Institute of Technology in the night in the early oh, 90s. Right, yeah. Yep. Yeah, I went there in the early 90s, had a blast, loved it. Um ended up leaving early to get into the field. Um and I will be 100% honest it's because my grades were terrible. But uh-huh. <laughs> but uh yeah. I I ended up getting into the field and and really enjoying using what I learned, but it is you're right, it's absolutely a completely new landscape. There's no you know, there's no waiting for for film. You don't have to rush film to a developer. You don't have to run into the dark room and 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 do contact sheets. And it's oh yeah, that's those, those days are gone. It's I mean, uh, it's so sad. I miss the smells of developer and fixer, and it's just everything has changed, and it's been, happened so quickly. Yeah, yeah, it did. Uh, like twenty years ago, close to twenty five. It, it really made a big drastic change. Um, yeah. And it's just been, it's just been on speed since that time. Yeah. It, you know, I mean, uh, no one, no one would ever, well, I recognize the, the changes that were taking place and that, um, equipment was just going to be so far out. And I mean, you haven't reached the end of it yet, to tell you the truth. There's so many other things that are, that are coming up. Oh yeah, there there I mean, are. When you consider you got you got cameras with eye control. Yeah, and there's ones uh, that shoot so many different wavelengths that aren't even in the visible spectrum at this point. Right. Well, that's been around for a while. It's just that nobody could afford it. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> well, that's true. Yeah. You know, and it's it's been it was a uh, pretty much a government kind of thing with as far because at one time um, Kodak was making over about 120 types of film. Yeah. For different things, uh, once okay, about twenty-five, maybe thirty years ago, I was working for Bell Labs and uh, um, Bell Labs News, to be exact. Okay, and um, they had a every twenty-five miles in Jersey, there was a uh, terminal that you had to climb up, and you had to go in and you had to photograph the uh, terminal itself and the only way it was dark you had like one light maybe maybe and the only way that you could determine it was with a certain type of film that could shoot in just about total darkness oh wow yeah uh, you know you could you could put you could put the camera in your pocket and photograph the change oh my gosh yeah that's but the, the the sensitivity of the film was so structured that it determined when certain terminals were going to were turning gray. Oh, wow. Or, you know, and they would re- replace them based on what you put back uh, with your film. So this film was like exceptional. Uh, yeah, I figured, hey, this is good for rock and roll. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, you got a film like that. So they were very strict on, on things when you were turning stuff. And, you know, so they, uh, I got handed, I think, about eight rolls of film and I had to go up and I had to cover about 100 miles. Okay. And it was like every every twenty miles, you know, they you know you have to go and you have to photograph various stages, and uh, so I figured, well, hey, I'm gonna 
take this to a concert. <laughs> China was doing, doing a lot of rock and roll. Yeah. So when I came back here and I said, uh, they said, uh, you, you know, you got these films. I said, oh, no, I shot the whole thing. Yeah. <laughs> so they just, they just looked at me and they said, uh, yeah, okay, all right. <laughs> all right. So look, we know you got a couple of roles of this film, you know? Yeah. Now, here's, here's your problem. When are you going to get it developed? Oh, wow, yeah. That's you know, true. You, you, you ain't going to find Acupine to do this stuff. Yeah. <laughs> or, you know, it's just yeah. not a you know, the, the formula for this stuff is under lock and key. Yeah, you can't just take it to a photo mat and, and get yeah, it back right. in an hour. Yeah, you couldn't do that. You, you, I mean, you could even go to a good lab oh. and do that. I mean, they just did not have they did not have that technology. But the technology is is there. It's ahead of itself now. But it's just so um, so much that you can do uh, until it becomes cheaper. Yeah. Uh, you know, to um, as far as uh, your imagery and even as far as go uh, as far as notebooks and uh, battery life and uh, liquid lenses and these are oh, all man. things that are coming about and uh, they're here but they're not in abundance because they're very expensive just like and that film not... yeah yeah so, yeah. Oh, I mean, I was all set to, you know, <laughs> I had a concert coming up. I was, I, I had an earmark for, uh, you know, how many frames I would use. Oh yeah. yeah I was, <laughs> I was ready. So let, let, let's talk a little bit about that too. I want to find out how you got into doing music photography. You, you started, uh, shooting professionally in, in what, the mid sixties. Is that right? Yeah. How did you get yeah, started and, professionally? Uh, just started doing it. I mean, I've, I've been photographing since the age of eight. Okay. Okay. So I've been doing it since then. And I was, when I got to be, uh, I came out the Marine Corps and I got, um, started getting jobs, just started getting jobs shooting. Okay. Professionally. And then 1968 is when it turned around. Um, there was a concert at Madison Square Garden. May 28th, 1968. And it was the first major, it was the first concert at the New Madison Square Garden. Oh, okay. And on the bill, on the bill were um, Sonny and Cher, Rascals, King Curtis, uh, Sam and Dave and Aretha. Okay, okay. Okay. And every single group, all the groups I just mentioned, had either a number one or a number two hit or had had number one or number two hits within the last weeks. Oh, wow. And so a friend of mine, she said, uh, yeah, hey, listen, this concert, garden, I want to go. Let's go. I said, all right. So I got tickets. She says, well, get credentials. I said, all right. So I got credentials. She said, you know, take along a bunch of cameras. I said, well, I took along a bunch of cameras. And I photographed the show. And uh, she turned around and said, well, uh, this is sponsored by Atlantic Records. I said, yeah. So she said, we'll get your film up to Atlantic. She saw the film, said, uh, you know, you should get this up to Atlantic. I said, all right, okay, I'll, uh, I'll get it up there. So I got it up there. They liked the material that they saw. They said, well, we can't use anything right now. However, we will definitely keep you in mind if, uh, 
you know, we, we need something from you. You know, you got okay. guys, you know, I had a good take. I was happy with the take that I got. It was an exciting show, first of all. Oh, yeah. Um, up till now, it's probably, I would say, one of the best shows I've ever seen. Oh, really? Oh, that's, that's. Yeah, and, everybody was, everybody came on and was dynamic. Sam and Dave came on and the floor was shaking. Oh, I love Sam and Dave. And oh, it was like, uh, yeah, and they, they put on such a show that Aretha had to wait like about 15, 20 minutes before she came on. Oh, my gosh. Because the, the crowd was just wild. Sam and Dave just let the, you know, they, they were <laughs> like that. You know, they could raise the temperature of the show. <laughs> Man, and anyway, what, to make Aretha have to wait to, 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 for everybody to calm yeah, down, oh, yeah. that's something. Yeah, for them, yeah, 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 yeah. So, and uh, it was in the round, you know, with the stage revolving. So, oh, I mean, the excitement yeah. was just like, uh, uh, so I took the film to Atlantic. And uh, they said, you know, they said, hey, we like this stuff. We'll you know, keep it in mind. Definitely keep it in mind. So I waited about a week. I didn't get anything back. So I called them. And they said, oh, you just you called just in time. We're using two of your pictures for album covers. Oh, wow. Sam and Dave, I Thank You album. And Aretha uh, for Aretha in Paris. Oh, wow. That was, my, that was my first two albums. So from that point, they gave me uh, Pickett. Wilson Pickett to photograph. Oh. And after that, they said, well, look, we'd like you to uh, be contract and uh, do 25 albums per quarter. Oh, my God. Now, you didn't, always get, you didn't always get 25, but, you know, you'd photograph 425, and you'd get 15, 20. Oh, man. A couple of times there, I, couple of times there, I got 25. You know, so I worked for, in the music business till uh, about mid, near, close to the mid-'80s. Oh wow! I was okay. doing album, I was doing album cover work, and um, you know that's that's how I got started. Well, I was looking at a, a list of the people you've photographed, and it's absolutely insane. I'm going I'm to list some of these people here: Jimi Hendrix, Led Zeppelin, yeah. Aretha Franklin, yeah. The Who, BB yeah. uh, King, Eric Clapton, obviously Sam and Dave. Like you said, Stevie Wonder. Uh, let's see. Who else is blowing me away here? Uh, Duke Ellington, Miles Davis, James Brown, The Rolling Stones, Sly and the Family Stone. I mean, it, the list just goes on. Velvet Underground, The Doors. That is, that that's an incredible list, and that's not even that's maybe half the list of what I'd found. Yeah, that's well. I've got over uh, as I believe now I have like well over a thousand album covers that I've done. Oh my God! And I did a lot of I did a lot of gospel, and I did a lot of uh, uh, artists that I had done. If I did one album cover, in some cases I've done five or six. Wow! So, now, now um, during this time period, were you based in the New York City area, or were you traveling? Uh, yeah, I would travel as far as the West Coast or something, but not. But most of the time, I was up and down the East Coast. Okay, and was that on something like like they would give you an assignment, say we need you to shoot, um, I don't know, Glenn Campbell, so go out to to the West Coast and, and yeah. shoot him. Well, I did him here. He came here. He was at the Garden State Art Center, which was the Garden State Art Center at the time. Okay, and um, he was there doing an album, and they were uh, they were recording naturally, and uh, so I photographed him there. And photographed them behind stage, as well as uh, 
you know, in concert. So, and so they would ask me, it, it was uh, Atlantic, I, I worked for Atlantic, London, uh, Mercury, uh, uh, Capital, uh, all the major record companies. Oh, yeah, like, like uh, Columbia, and, and yeah, I'm and, looking at... Uh, there was only, a, I, I like to do concert work. I mean, yeah, you could do post stuff, but the excitement to me was a concert where the CD people perform. When you get to see the excitement that they generate and, you know, the highlights of the concert, that was, to me, uh, the place to be to really show the artists what they're doing. Oh, yeah. And I've seen some of so your photographs. Up, uh, yeah, so I wound up, you know, I don't know why. There were some weekends where I'd be doing like three concerts. Oh, wow. Uh, uh, of different artists. And uh, I spent a lot of time in Fillmore. I worked for Fillmore for a moment. And uh, a lot of concerts through there, a lot of concerts through the Garden. Okay. And uh, the Palladium, different places, yeah. And I'm going to stop for one second here. I've got some kind of weird technical issue with my cord here. So from that point, I got into... uh, uh, I got into sports. Okay. Um, and so how did, how did that transition come about? That came about with uh, a writer. A writer suggested uh, a sports writer. A um, friend, friend of mine, uh, she uh, brought a father by, and he's a sports, he's a sports Shirley Povich. I don't know if you heard the name. Uh, could you repeat the name again? Shirley Povich. Oh, okay. That's yeah. I what I know that name. Yeah, he uh, was the writer for the uh, Washington Post. Okay. So uh, his his daughter and I worked together at uh, News Newsday Newsweek, and um, we were friends. And she brought a father by, brought him by my office, and uh, we took a walk in. Let me see what you you know portfolio. So I showed him what I had. I had a, a big portfolio with albums, some of the album clubs I've done. And he said, uh, he said, kid, get into sports. He said, start doing sports. Okay. He said, you got the natural, you know, you're just, just, just get into sports. And I followed his advice. And uh, sure enough, it, uh, I found myself doing quite a bit of sports. So, yeah, you ended up being I photographed a... just about every major sport. Yeah, uh, I mean, he, curling. I've done curling. I've done polo. <laughs> I mean, I've done some ridiculous things. <laughs> but you ended up being a staff photographer for the NBA. Yeah. So. Yeah. Uh, go ahead. Oh, uh, so, uh, did that uh, did that make it uh, get you on the road traveling, or were you uh, a staff photographer? Oh uh, yeah, that was <laughs> that was uh, that was worse than rock and roll. I mean, that, that was like. Uh, <laughs> rock and roll and shooting rock and roll. I would have 15 days on the road, and then about five days I had a break, and that that time was usually spent editing film, then back out on the road again. Okay. And with the NBA, it was on the it was on the road just constantly. I mean, I've covered um, the most I've covered, and after a while, that became uh, novel too. It was 100 games a season. Oh wow! Jeez. Pro game, and uh, possibly more than. That because I was covering ABA ball at the same time. 
Oh wow! But I got into the I got into the NBA. I, um, they I put together a magazine a long time ago. Which did some uh, there was a company called Mako, and they put out a magazine, and they asked me to come in and you know send me the games and I photograph. And then the NBA called me and they said, you know, look, we got another position open. Um, there was only two of us at the time, two of us at the time. What we were required to do, it was different than what it is now. Okay. What we were required to do was to make, uh, to catch judgment calls. Oh. You know, in other words, if um, somebody was complaining about something or something that they didn't see, we'd have it myself and the other photographer would have it on film. He covered the West Coast, I covered the East Coast. Oh, wow. Okay. And, um, so, you know, uh, in other words, there was a, maybe a foul situation that was continuous uh, between two teams. I don't, I don't know if you do. Referees talk quite a bit. They know everything that goes on. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they, they, they know players' birthmarks. Oh, my gosh. I mean, they, they, yeah, they can they, – they, I mean, they – got to hand it to them because they know – first of all, they know the game. Yeah. And they have anticipations of what's going to happen. So, uh, oh, I say one story is pretty funny. There used to be only two officials. Okay. Okay. And the way they are, there's certain areas that they can't see what's going on. Right. As a third official would see that they can't, they're blindsided. And the coaches tell the players, you know, you know, pull shit off in there. Yeah. Do, do stuff, you know, with, within. Uh, those boundaries, you know, if you oh, see that alignment yeah. come up, you know, uh, pull on a guy's jock strap or, you know, step on his foot <laughs> yeah. or uh, pull a shirt. No, no, I'm, I'm serious. This is what we're on. So oh my gosh. the officials knew this. So one day there was a particular game where it was like really, um, uh, there was a lot of, a lot of stuff going on between a couple of players, like four players. Okay. So they said, you know, you see the stuff. Don't I said, yeah, I see certain things. They said, well, when you see it, I had a, a unipod, and they said, when you see a foul, you know, that we you know, we get that angle and we're blindsided, you see the foul, tap your unipod on the floor. Oh. oh. So I would see something going on, I tap the unipod on the floor, and they blow the whistle. <laughs> so the players started, like, saying, how did you see that? What, you know, huh? As you know, I did that to him. You know, that was the, the thing. Oh, man. That's awesome. So, the, it, it cooled it down for a while, you know, but then they got three officials in, and, you know, they didn't need, but as, at that time, you know, you, you were, in a sense, uh, a third official because you were there to capture, you know, the game for um, the purpose of uh, determining fouls, determining who was running a zone. Okay. And, uh, you know, uh, things like that. And uh, also to get a lot of the, uh, uh, the the foul situation. A lot of the foul situation. A lot of fouling goes, you know, that went on at that time. A lot of grabbing, a lot of pushing and shoving. So this was and, uh, um, what about the, the 70s, mid-70s or so? Or yeah, the- 70s uh, through to the 80s. I shot, I shot into like 1983. Okay. And you're still... 83, 84. Now, are you still uh, going to concerts and, and shooting at this time, or are you just specifically focusing on sports? Uh, no, I, I, again, with the times, what happened was 77, I walked in. I, 
do a couple of things for the Times per year. You know, I get about three or four things okay. from the Times per year. And uh, finally, one day I was looking at the sports section, and you know, like some of the stuff I could do. So I called my friend over there. I said, you know, I'd like to do more. So he said, all right, I'll set you up with the photo editor. Okay. So he set me up with the photo editor, and the photo editor said, yeah, you know, I like, you know, we can we can really use you right now. And I didn't understand the meaning of that at that time. But uh, it quickly got pointed out to me. The Times was changing over their uh, format to uh, more pictures, bigger pictures, and um, a better type of picture, you know, to, okay. to, to do some things that were different. And um, I went to uh, the interview, and this, the guy said, look, you know, I like what you do. You know, you're interested in doing a lot of sports. I said, well, yeah. So he sent me upstairs to the sports department. Okay. So the, they they didn't believe that he sent me up there because he never sent anybody up there. Oh, geez. You know, so they said uh, they thought I was some kind of spy or something. They, you know, <laughs> they looked at me, you know, like I had two heads. Yeah, no, that's it. So I said, uh, they said, uh, Dane sent you up here? I said, yeah. So they said, well, all right. Uh, so they took my portfolio, went in an office, came back out, and... Um, you know, they looked around the corner. They said I was still there. Said, yeah, hi. You know? <laughs> and then they looked again, and they called me in the office. And what I thought was only two people in there was turned out to be three. Okay. There was a guy standing over in the corner. And, of course, you know, you see this kind of thing. You know who's in charge. That's the guy standing over to the side. Right, he right. He didn't have a word to say, but they, was, they were sitting at the desk, and they were going through my portfolio. And he was uh, just standing over on the side. And... um they said uh, they they the only thing that was missing the way they interviewed me was you know how the old movies where uh, the detectives are sitting around the suspect and they said where were you on the night of the twenty first yes yes uh, you know and the only thing that was missing was the light in my face <laughs> okay but they grilled me I mean they really did they said uh, you know uh, you think uh, hockey's a horizontal sport I said well no. Um, you know, yes, it's run on the horizontal, but there's things that can happen vertically and you have to be prepared for that. You know, I like to do, a, I don't want to get stuck in, you know, that it's a horizontal thing when you see a vertical shot. Right, right. So a couple of minutes went by. And I said, well, uh, you think basketball is strictly vertical? I said, no. I said, there again, same thing. I said, I'm not tied down to a uh, particular set of rules. I'm going by what the game, how the game is going to go. It could go horizontally, it could go diagonally, you know. Right. It can yeah. go any which way. So you you look for those things. You you get you know the game, you know your players, you know things that are you know, you anticipate certain things that are gonna happen and that's how I work it. So I since the guy on the side after like about four questions like this and you know, with detailed answers, that he uh he he nodded and then walked out the room. Oh. And I found out very quickly that the guy, I didn't find out quickly, really, I found out after a couple of weeks, that the guy who was standing on the side was Lou Silverstein. Oh, wow. Yeah, I, I don't know, you know, obviously you know who he is. Yes. He, he, he designed the times. Yeah. With Sports Monday, Business Day, uh, uh, the sections, the uh, Long Island, New York, Manhattan, Jersey sections. Oh, and, uh, yeah, so he uh, through that 
uh, I was doing sports, and then they started sending me to other sections because I had the same um, sensitivity towards subject matter. You know, it didn't have to be a square picture. You know, it didn't have to be. Uh, uh, and, and the other thing was that they were able to tell me, hey, we want something. We got a square hole. We want to fill that. You got an, you got an idea? Yeah, I got an idea. You know, I'll bring it in. Yeah, yeah. So um, I started, I was with them for, what, seven years? At the time for seven years. Oh wow! Until I went until I went to Newsday. Oh, and the, the strangest part about it was that they, as they were changing, they were trying to like hit the photographers to, hey, change your style of shoot, do this, do that. And so mm-hmm. I was like, uh, what I term as the man. They love to hate because I would try different things. Ah, okay. I would try different things. I tried setting up remotes. Oh yeah, yeah. You know, at some of these games, and uh, the the one thing, nineteen eighty, I think it was nineteen eighty. Um, who I was working for the NBA, and the NBA they said uh, I was shooting Nikon, and they said uh, they called me in the office, and uh, they said uh, you're shooting Nikon, right? I said yeah. I said, you happy? With it? I said yeah, sure. Using <laughs> it. They said, well, from now on, you're shooting Canon. I said, but I got Nikons. You know, why would I want to change over to Canon? This is maybe you don't understand. From now on, you're shooting Canon. <laughs> so I said, well, wait, okay, what's the deal? You know, what's the deal here? So I said, uh, Canon is now the official camera of the NBA. So you're, all your stuff, all your Nikon stuff is being replaced. Oh, wow. So I had to learn a system Jeez. real quick. That's, and that's a big deal. I don't know. People may not realize how big of a deal that is. Yeah, no, it was. So that day, on top of that, they asked me, they said, do you, can you think of anything special you'd want to do with this? So I said, all right, I got one for you. I said, let me set up a tandem. Now, I don't know if you don't know what a tandem is. A, Cameron, a, a tandem is a multi-camera hookup. Right. And uh, you run it remote. You know, you can't be in. I had six cameras up. Oh. Uh, I had two cameras overhead two cameras on the floor and two cameras on the backboard. Oh, wow. Okay. That's so, uh, um, and I did this for the all-star game. Oh, okay. Which you got the maximum out of because they're constantly transitioning players. And oh, yeah. Certain things may be going down on the other end of the floor. If you got two cameras going down there or one camera going down there where it's happening, or in some cases, maybe even three cameras. Uh, so I had a remote box that I was working on. Okay. Okay. And I had a seventh camera on the side. Man. So that went off. That went off very well. Oh. I don't, yeah. What, now, what, so, uh, do you remember what year this was? 19, I think it was 1980. I think it was, yeah, 1980, you know. Oh, right. Because I'm going to have to look up some of these images and see what I can what I can find on these because yeah. I'm really intrigued yeah, so, to take a look at this. Those pictures went quick. Oh, I'll bet. Those pictures went quick. Man. Yeah. So it, so they've never, they've never had anything set up like that before. I can, yeah, I can and, imagine. Uh, if, if they're trying to, if they're asking you, know, you what, what you want to do and if there's anything special, and yeah, I can imagine how blown away they must have been. Yeah. Yeah. So I started, uh, you know, 
I became for a moment, I became a spokesman for them, you know. That's wild. Oh and, my gosh. Um, and so then there's other things that I, you know, was, you know, worked with zoom lenses, uh, color print film. Mm-hmm. I've, I've always been wanting to try something different. I like a challenge. You know? I like a photographic challenge. Oh gosh. You know, yeah. I don't want to get stuck in the same thing. Uh, you know, you day in, day out, you know, and, um, I started seeing ways zooms were becoming better made. There was, you know, better zooms out. So I started, mm-hmm. I got into that early and also color print film. I got into early and then, uh, autofocus was, wow. uh, my biggest challenge. And I got into that. I got into that first thing. Okay. And it, and it all came. Canon used to make a, I don't know if you, you familiar with the Canon system? I love Canon. That's, 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 the the system that I use actually yeah yeah well they had a, at one time they had an autofocus lens it was a tan lens it looked like a box and okay. it was uh thirty five to seventy okay now there wasn't a lot you could do with this it was an autofocus lens now what you do is there's a button where you focus on the on the lens and then you shoot uh, you know the shutter on the camera right. But you autofocus and then you, you know, you click. And so I had a game to do on the West Coast. I needed to put up, um, I, I was trying to decide which lens to use and I wanted a zoom lens that I could, you know, check out different focal lengths. Right. You know, on the backboard. So I called in and I said, you know, look, can you, can you ship me a lens? Uh, something to 134, you know, anything from there to, you know, 135, 105. Mm-hmm. So they said, uh, okay. So they called me back about 20 minutes later. They said, we don't have anything in the house. We don't have anything in the locker. Oh. Uh, will you settle it? Will you settle for something different? I said, well, yeah. I said, I, it doesn't have to be that long at this point. So they had this, they said, well, we got this 35 to 70. It's an autofocus lens. It's the only one. There, was, there were no, there were no autofocus lenses at the time. Wow. That was the only one. And it was like a, uh, how would you say? It was a uh, a white elephant. You know, oh, I mean, nobody okay. wanted to use it. I mean, right. it collected dust. You yeah. know, it was a doorstop. <laughs> you know, so they said, uh, "You mind if we send you this?" Is it what you got to do? Critical? I said, "No, it's, you know, I just need to really uh, make some adjustments, make you know, see what focal length I want to use." Right. So they said, "Okay." So they shipped it out to me. So I used it, came back home. Nobody was asking for it. Uh, so I, I had it on my, my desk and I would play with it. I put it, I put a, a camera on it and uh, that I had an extra camera that I had and I'd play with it. And I said, you know, this is a hell of a concept when you think about it. A camera that you can focus automatically. Right. You know, I said, this is a hell of a concept. Yeah, yeah. So I told him, I said, well, look, if you ever... And I told him, I said, I was holding on to it. I had it for months. I think I might, I might have had it for about a year. Oh, wow. And uh, yeah, but nobody was asking. Well, yeah, <laughs> exactly. Nobody cared. Nobody was asking for it. I had a loan program or nothing. Oh, man. And so they said, uh, yeah, so I finally turned it in. I said, look, if you ever come up with this, this concept that you advance this concept, I want to know. So it might have been months later, they shipped me two 620s 
um, a 35 millimeter lens, a 35 to 105, okay, and a 70 to 200. Oh, nice. Yeah. So they said, uh, "Here you go." They sent it to. <laughs> they sent it to 30 photographers around the world. Oh man! All right, and um, I loved it. You know, I put I put the manual focus stuff to one side. Uh, played with this thing for about a, about a few days before I had to do something serious. Yeah, and. Um, Took it out, took it right out, and uh, you know, was out in the street with it. Okay. And uh, every everybody looked at me like I was. Well, no, not really, no, not really, because I mean, it, everybody knew that I tried some different things, so I wasn't looked at as really being crazy. But they just wanted to see what I was going to do with it. Yeah, if if you had that reputation, you then know, they're curious so, as to what you're working with now. Yeah, they were curious as to what. So it must have been about. Oh, I know what I was covering. I was covering the Chambers trial. Okay. Uh, and there's where you really needed, uh, because they hurried him in so quick, that, and you had a gang of photographers, or, or what I call a gaggle yeah. of photographers, <laughs> yeah. that were, um, you know, I mean, they, they'd be on top of one of you, Have you worked in any press situations, any situations? Yes. Like, uh, Purple walks and stuff like that. Yes, yeah, I've, I've worked a, a okay. Well, okay, well, minimal, but yeah. You, yeah, all right. Well, you know what it's like. Yeah, it's a you're okay, all crammed together. Yeah, yeah, right. So um, I managed to get with that chambers coming in, and I got a series of shots. And at the time, they had a very rapid flash that was like as quick as a. There used to be a light I call a mighty light. Okay. And the mighty light was a very fast recycling time. Oh, right. Okay. I mean, it was like once a second, boom, 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 oh, boom, wow. boom. Like you could do something like that. Yeah. And this was an old system and it took a, a, a huge battery. Yeah, I can imagine. But it was, yeah, it was worth, it was worth having. But they came out with this thing called a 100, um, easy 100. And it was the size of a pack of cigarettes. I still got a couple here. Oh, jeez. <laughs> I still got a couple, yeah, and they were very, very fast. They took a 2CR5 battery, same battery as the camera, as oh. the 620, which made it very easy. Yeah. You know, so you had an easy you had an easy system with the 620. You had a motorized camera, autofocus, and you had uh, the same the same battery, 2CR5. That's, that's nice. So uh, it was about a week later. We're covering the trial, so I had, uh, uh, well, to make a long story short, Left my equipment on the side and stepped away. And then when I came back to where I thought my equipment was, I saw it didn't look like my, it was, it was Canon. It was autofocus, 620s. And it was the same setup. And I said, I, I didn't think I left my equipment over here. So a guy comes over, Mario from AP. He says, I know, I know, I know. He says, as soon as I saw you using this, he says, I figured that there must be something to it. <laughs> says, so I went out. He says, I went out, I was able to get a hold of, you know, this equipment. Oh, man. So, you know, but I, I've been known for just, I like trying different things. I like, uh, you know, I like uh, variety. Same thing with autofocus. When, you know, when, well, when it first came in, um, there, I mean, there was really doubts about it. Well, yeah, they were very and, slow, uh, if I remember correctly. Yeah. And, well, they weren't slow. I mean, it was just, uh, it was an adjustment. Okay. 
it was slow and people catching on. Well, maybe that, yeah, <laughs> you know, but but it was it was pretty quick. It was thing. It was based on it was based on you you know you know the structure of autofocus, right? Based on contrast. Yes, yes. Okay, well now, uh, autofocus is unbelievable. There's this new thing. It's not new, really. It's been around a few years called phase detection. Okay. And instead of one point, you've got like maybe 153 points within the lens that is capable of, of grabbing oh. uh, the frame and being sharp. Now, I didn't trust phase detection for a long time, but recently, about a, close to a year ago, I did a, an article for a Sony camera called the RX10 M4. Okay. Okay, which is a remarkable system. I mean, it's like... Um, I did a review on it, did a review on it for Sony. I'll, I'll send you the info on it. Yeah, please when you, do. When you handle this camera or when you see this camera, you'll probably um, want to sell one of your kids to get it. <laughs> uh, they maybe okay. want to do that you on know, a couple I mean, of occasions. Yeah, right. But you, you really want to, with clothes, with clothes, sell them with clothes. Yeah. <laughs> you know. You know, pack a bag. Yeah, <laughs> the kids and all the accessories. Yeah. So, um, you know that right now, to me, that is that, that camera is the joint. That's uh, when I wrote the article. I even wrote in there. I said, you know, the only thing because I, I went after the camera. I went after it from the aspect that everybody talks about. Oh, the camera doesn't do this. It's uh, that's a design flaws in it or um well you know um design compromises they'll call it or design flaws right and they'll you know they'll criticize what it can't do hey if you look at the camera and read the specs and look at what the glasses they put in it they put in a spheric elements into this land you know expensive spheric glasses yes so they 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 um put this in and I said, uh, no, I'm going to approach it from what the camera can do and just take it through challenges. And I wrote even in the preface to it, I said, you know, the only thing that I don't like about this camera is the fact that it doesn't do laundry. <laughs> oh, man. You know, if you can get that in, then, you know, I'll be completely happy. <laughs> so. But, yeah, that's a... Uh, I've uh, been very fortunate, I think, in this business. I mean, very fortunate in the things that I've been able to cover and in many cases been able to follow, people follow my editorial decisions and what I shoot. Well, if you're getting the results you that know? they want, then yeah, it makes sense that they would. Yeah, well, I, I, again, I've just been fortunate. You know, I've been, I've seen a lot of good music. I mean, a lot of good music. Yeah, and, um, I definitely want to ask you some more about some of uh, some of the work you've done with musicians. Um, I mean, you've shot some iconic images of artists like Jimi Hendrix, yeah, bands like Led Zeppelin, mm -hmm. uh, Janis Joplin, Rolling Stones. Did you? How does it work in in when they're recording? They're, they're in studio. You've got some fantastic pictures of Hendrix uh, in studio uh, recording. Yeah, well, the studio. Yeah, the studio is a place where. Uh, again, I was very fortunate that I was chosen to do those things in the studio. Led Zeppelin, uh, Hendrix, Modern Jazz Quartet, a number of artists 
in the studio. Uh, Pickett. Uh, oh, Lincoln Wilson Pickett. You know, I was very fortunate that, because I, 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 in any situation I go into, I want to be unobtrusive. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, you know, I want to be um, uh, unobtrusive. To, uh, they, they say he's here, but we don't know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I usually tuck myself away in a, in a position and uh, just, you know, stay out of the way. Because the studio is a very high-pressured situation. Right. I can't begin to tell you how high-pressured. It's like it's like a championship fight. Okay. Well, that makes sense. That makes a yeah, lot that's, that's of sense. That's the easiest way that I can describe it. It's like a Muhammad Ali fight. So... You know, when you've got artists of the statue of Hendrix and all, oh. you know, and uh, Roberta, um, Roberta and Donnie, um, Jimmy, uh, and, and a number of, of different groups that I've, I've had the opportunity to, to be in the studio and photograph. So I imagine that's also more of a high pressure situation for you then, too, because you don't want to disturb the process, but you you're there to document the exactly. process. Exactly. You, you, yeah. So you stay out of Stay out of the way. Stay the hell out of the way. <laughs> and I've been very fortunate in the studios I worked in. Yeah, that's the where uh, I, I got left in the studio one night. They forgot I was in there. Really? Uh, who were you shooting? Yeah, lights are going out and whatnot. And uh, yeah, they're closing <laughs> the door. I said, hey, you know. Yeah. What's, what's, uh, who were you shooting at the time? What was I shooting at the time? Yeah, what, what band or what artist? Oh, um, Roy Ayers. Oh, okay. Oh. Roy Ayers, yeah. <laughs> okay, agree. Now, I, it sounds so like I got in. I got in there. I got in there before everybody else, and uh, they didn't even know. You know, I was there. So you were just doing. You, you're doing what you're supposed to do. Be you know, documenting it and staying out of the way. So that's that's funny. Then. <laughs> now it it sounds to me like yeah yeah. Let, let, it sounds to me like you preferred shooting in a live environment over shooting in the studio. Yeah, I, I prefer the, the the live stuff, you know, stuff where they're doing something, where the artist is doing what they do. Right. You know, you've got within a concert, you've got you, and within a 45 minute concert, you got a minute and a half to get something good. Oh, wow. And in some cases, even less, depending on the performance, depending on what lighting, what side of the stage you're on, you know, all those things. More your mobility to be able to move in and out of a situation. Yeah. Now, what kind of access did you have when you're shooting live? Uh, did you, were you just specifically down in, in, in either like uh, on the side of the stage or down in front, or were were you allowed access backstage? Oh yeah, full access. Oh man. That's... Behind stage, you know, out front. Sometimes uh, the artist in in the room tell you a funny story, make you laugh. Oh, I love uh, this. So I had to do it. I had to do a show. I had to do a show at the Beacon. Uh, for the life of me, I, to this day, I can't remember who the artist was. Big artist, <laughs> and um, they said. Uh, and a lot of times, what I get is you get a you get a, a cross call. In other words, another record company would have an artist at a show that you're at. Mm-hmm. So they will contact Atlantic and say, hey, you know, we understand Jim's going to be there. Can he do some stuff for us? 
Okay. You know, our act is coming on first. Can you can you do do some stuff for us? And they said, uh, and I said, yeah, you know, sure, go ahead, you know, call them, or okay. uh, you know, we'll talk to them. You know, they leave a message on uh, my pager. Right. You know, so and so will call, and uh, they want you to do uh, Jerry Butler or uh, a sub act. Okay. And so uh, on this particular night, again, I can't remember who the major. Well, you know, who the, the, the prime artist was, but Feliciano. Mercury? I can't remember. Anyway, they said, uh, we need you to get some shots of Feliciano. I said, all right. They said, we don't need him necessarily on stage, but, um, you know, if you get something personal behind stage. So I said, all right, so problem. So I get up to the beacon and I come in and there's a hallway. And in the hallway, there's, uh, well, I guess you're familiar with this too. There's a lot of instrument um, packaging, you know, uh, cases, cases, yeah, and and uh, mic stands and uh, uh, music stands and whatnot. And, yeah, uh, instrument cases and, and, and drum cases, kits, you know, cases and whatnot. And it's mm. a foyer. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, you know, I come in and walk in, make a left, and I distinctly may remember making a left. And there was Feliciano. I says, oh, you know, Felice, how are you? You know, I appreciate you. I really like your music. They sent me up to get a couple of things. So he said, well, what do you want? I said, well, just keep on playing. You know, just keep on rehearsing because I know you're going on. Don't want to interrupt anything. Right. Uh, I'll be over here, you know, on the other side of the room. I had a 135. I was able to close in, get some nice things with them. And I was just very quiet about it. And I knew moments that you know he you know he'd be running a riff and you know, you get that and so all of a sudden there's this knock on the door bam 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 and, you know, bam 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 so uh Feliciano says, come in come in so as the person comes in they knocked over all the uh drum kits and the light stands and it's crash bang <laughs> boom you know <laughs> Not the whole, you know, like whole stuff, like just like, you know. So finally he yells out, what the fuck are you, blind? Oh, shit. <laughs> in walks Stevie Wonder. Oh, no. <laughs> so they start going at it, you know. You know, what do you do? Leave your seeing eye dog at home? Oh, blah, 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 you know. <laughs> and uh, so they start going at, you know. Blind people with blind people have a weird sense of humor. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. And so gosh. they were going on about it. They they mentioned to me, you know, this is Jim, this yeah, you know, yeah, again, you know, really love what you do. <laughs> and they suggested that, hey, have you ever thought of going to a concert or going to a gig as a blind photographer? Oh my gosh. <laughs> I said, you people, I said, you people are sick. Yeah. <laughs> you're sick. Oh, my gosh. Said, yeah, you show up, you know, or you, you shake hands with a lamp or something like that. <laughs> you know. You wear the, you gotta wear the dark shades. Hold it, hold it, hold it right there. Hold it right there, you know. Yeah. <laughs> so. Oh, my, that's fantastic. Now, so, yeah, so I mean, there's, there's a whole, I mean, it's just a whole bunch of funny stories and whatnot that I've, you know, I've encountered. So you, you've had artists. some, well, it sounds like you've had a lot of really good interactions. Have you ever had any that the, were The really... session with Hendrix was very, very serious. I mean, there was no, nobody was smiling. 
Oh. Because they had a very tough road to go. Um, are you familiar with the record Isabella? Oh, yes. I, I'm a big Hendrix fan. You've heard it? Yes. Oh, yeah. I love Jimi Hendrix's work. Yeah. Okay. When I get off the phone, play it again because there is so much going on. The production of that record was like a task within itself. Oh, my gosh. Because the, the all the things that are going on, if you listen carefully, put on some headphones and listen to it, you hear all the things going on. At that time, there was no studio that could do this. And I'm talking about even Electric Ladyland. Electric Ladyland was built, and they couldn't have recorded the way they did there. Oh, jeez. As many tracks as they had, they couldn't do it, no. Wow. They couldn't do it. So they call in, they call in the master, Eddie Kramer. Oh, yeah, yeah. And he, he put it together. put it together but it was so tense because they had to there were so many adjustments that they had to make and it was constant Hendrix was walking around he had a guitar and he had a long cord I mean like maybe a 50 foot cord 30 foot cord oh, wow and he would just walk from place that he was playing and somebody would be around you know they'd be feeding the cord or following him around and so as I said I managed to position myself in a you know a good spot and there was one time one moment where we came face-to-face. He came over to where I was, tucked away, and I just started shooting. You know, there was there's a black-and-white picture of him looking right into the camera. Oh, wow. And uh, I just started shooting. Oh, my So God. that's up on, I don't know, did you, you know of uh, the website I'm on? Uh, the Jim Cummins Collection? Yes, I'm actually, I've got it up on, on my computer right now. Um, it's, uh, yeah, Cummings Collection. Uh, I'm actually on the uh, the artist page right now. So I'm, I've got Hendrix. Yeah, the Jim Cummins collection, yeah. And it's, yeah, there's some amazing stuff. I definitely want everybody who, who listens to this to check it out. Um, I had, I've got a couple more questions, if you don't. I know I've kept you a while, but I, I do want to, I did want to ask you if, and all, all your interactions seem to have, have uh, that, you, that you've shared with us are, are fun, nice, great interactions. Were there any artists that were just pain in the ass to work with? Oh. You got an hour? You got oh, an hour? <laughs> who who sticks? I guess I should narrow that down. Like who sticks out? Like if I say that, who's the first one to come to mind? Okay, uh, I'll tell you the story. How I got hired, got fired, and rehired in the same meeting. <laughs> okay, I got to hear this. All right. So every uh, quarter at Atlantic, Nessery and Ama, they were they call in the staff and they review every album that has come out for that quarter, be it 20, 25, or whatever it is. All right, so I'm at Artigan, and they right? review it all the way. From, yeah. Okay. Uh, they reviewed it from um, the art direction to the photography to the recording. You know, they, they take it apart. Okay. They take it apart. So uh, this one particular quarter, I, I was able to try a couple of different things. Um, and I had... Uh, that was my my worst album cover was an album called uh, by an uh, artist called Hank Crawford. Okay. And the uh, title of the album was "It's a Funky Thing to Do." Thank God it's not out there anymore. <laughs> oh. th- I had th- to, to photograph this guy. He was just 
I mean, he didn't move. Oh, God. <laughs> he didn't move at all. I mean, the only thing that moved, you know, you know the pictures of the eyes of Jesus? Yes. The eyes go back and forth. Yes. That was the only thing. That was oh, it. <laughs> that was God. it. Can you move this way? He'd move a finger. He moved. He did not move. He did not move. Wow. I had to, like, I went over, like, checked his pulse. <laughs> you know, see, the guy was alive. <laughs> you know, offered him a drink, you know. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, you know, guy, you know, I mean, this guy, he did not get drunk. Oh, you know, God. and he just, you know, same thing. So that didn't go well. So we had to do another session. And that session didn't go well. Oh, jeez. Same thing. And then I said, well, okay, I'll take him outside. Took him outside. It started to snow. <laughs> so I couldn't catch a break with this guy. Oh, all right. So they had to go with the cover, the, you know, something anyway. And uh, from something that I shot, and I just was not happy with it. And the designer didn't do it any justice. Oh, God. He didn't help me out, any, you know. And um, so the other cover that I had, and it won an award, was I did a cover of Mongo, Santa Maria. Okay. And, um, yeah, and he, uh, I told him when, had him over, I had him over the studio, and uh, I said, look, I want to do something with you serious, because you're usually smiling, but I want to do something not with you evil, well, just a serious expression. You know, you're a serious musician. Right. So he said, okay. So I had him leaning on the drum. I had him nicely lit and uh, in tight with, you know, his, his arm leaning on You know, you'd probably run across it. Yeah. And um, it was a nice, strong shot, strong image, looking directly into the camera. Okay. And so that won an award. So they, Nesui and uh, Ahmad had the meeting mainly necessarily does the talking with this particular thing. Okay. And so they had the meeting and I was outside the office where they, you know, the staff is in there, the producers, uh, uh, some arrangers and, uh, the, uh, VP and the art director. And they said, uh, and necessarily comes in. He says, look, he says, uh, before we go on, he says, I'd like to get one thing out the way. He says, we have a, an album cover here. He says, it's probably the worst thing. You know, <laughs> Uh, it's really, it's really terrible. This is this album cover is really. He's holding, he, now he's holding two album covers. He says this is really terrible. You know, this, uh, this, this we can't stand for. You know, I mean, look at this. This is, you know, this isn't us. You know, we can't have, you know, artwork like this going out. You know, we, we don't have. You know, it's not being done. He says. You know, so they, so they're trying to say, but, but Nestle, look, you don't understand. He says, I understand that this is a bad cover, but Nestle, the guy has no, 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 no. I don't want to hear it. Oh, you know, gosh. who shot this cover? They said, well, no, Nessie, look. He said, no, who shot this cover? They said, Jim Cummins. They said, Jim shot this? <laughs> he said, we're going to have to talk to him about his contract. Oh, God. He can't be shooting stuff like this. You know, he said, now, here's the cover that I want to see. He said, this is the this is the guy. If Jim can't do it, this is the guy that we hire. <laughs> and he held up the picture from the cover of Mongo. <laughs> now, who shot this cover? He said, Jim And they grabbed me and picked me up and took me around the corner and fell down laughing. <laughs> they said, man, you don't know what happened in that meeting. <laughs> they said, you got fired and rehired he said, in the same breath. So that was, uh, you know, one, one difficult person that I had to deal with. Oh, uh, another person is Aretha. Aretha, I'd be, they sent me to Florida, okay, to Miami. Okay. Fame, fame Studios. And they sent me down there to, to photograph 
and uh, her when she came in doing the studio. She didn't show up. She'd never show up. Oh, geez. Yeah, because she hated the fly. Oh, that yes, that's right. So and if the train wasn't going there or there wasn't some kind of limo transportation, she wouldn't go. She'd, you know, work at another studio. She'd work over Muscle Shoals or um, work, in, work out of Philly. Oh, wow. Or uh, in the Midwest, you know, out to, you know, like Chicago. Okay. So, uh, so yeah, it, uh, one of the things I used to love to do, and I, I really missed when I started doing, uh, working more for the newspaper, Newsday, was uh, I was able to go to Atlantic Studios, which was on 60th Street. Mm-hmm. And I could go there like about 8 o'clock at night, or like this time of night. I could go up there and um, ask the guy, Mac, to pull out certain artists, Brooke Benton, Wilson Pickett, Aretha, Dinah Washington, and he'd pull out these, you know, the big tapes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he'd pull those out, and I'd sit in a, in a studio, lights dimmed, with, um, uh, you know, naturally, in, you know, in the, in the studio, they got VOTs. Yes. So... You know, you, you, you're, you're surrounded by sound. You hear everything that goes on in the recording. Wow, wow. So I was yeah. able to hear a lot of a lot of stuff by Otis. Um, some stuff that never, you know, has even seen the light of day. Oh, jeez. Uh, you know, I was. Uh, I remember one thing that I, I was at this with uh, Dr. John recording "Right Place, Wrong Time." Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I walked in on that. Oh, you know, I just happened to be up there. Yeah, you're... I came up and they said, uh, you know, uh, I wasn't shooting. I was stopping by the studio. I was on the way home because I, I lived on 71st Street at the time. Oh, okay. And I was coming up from uh, like Lower 6th Avenue and coming up to 60th Street is where uh, Atlantic Studios used to be. Okay. And so uh, they, uh, I came up and they said, come on, come on, come on, come on, come on get in here. <laughs> okay, I got there. You know, you stand against the wall, and um, uh, and they, you know, they broke into the right place, wrong time. They did it in like one take, oh. or at least the take that I was there for. Wow. Uh, yeah, two minutes thirty four seconds, I think, something like that. So you're in the Short. right place at the right time. Jeez. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Man. Yeah, it must have been a good time. Yeah. <laughs> so out of all the, the, the covers you've shot, and, and like you're saying, there's, what would you say, almost a thousand covers or so? Is there, yeah. Is there one that sticks out that, that is your favorite or that means more to you than maybe one other, besides, you know, the, the one you got fired for? Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, Al Green, call me. Oh, wow. The Call Me album. And uh, the art director was uh, wise enough to use a shot of him gesturing. He's like, you know, in a kick mode. Yes. And yes. Uh, on the back on the back cover. And that one, because the, the weird part about that was I'm out in California driving along the highway. And I'm looking in the distance and there's an image that looks just familiar. And it turns out that that was a 60-foot billboard. Oh, oh wow. Almost had a wreck. I, yeah, I would have, too. Yeah. I, I, 
I got off, came back, and drove back down again. I couldn't believe that that uh, they used that. Yeah. Oh man, that's fantastic. Yeah. Oh, uh, that's one. There's a bunch of them. Uh, I did Blue Magic. Uh, yeah. That was, uh, uh, yeah, they uh, they were they were crazy. Now, didn't they just make a did they just make a movie about the band recently? Like a the past they might year have, yeah, yeah, they might, yeah, they probably did a revision. Um, you know, I mean, they were a good group, but they were crazy. Really? They were just out now, yeah, they were just out now crazy. I mean, they, <laughs> they uh, how so? They, you know, as far as they almost didn't make it as a group because. They couldn't get it together. And then finally, the producer, Henry Allen, told him, look, if you guys aren't, put, number one, I went down to Philly three times to photograph them, and they weren't ready. Oh, jeez. And I came up I came up with a great idea, which was the idea of them sitting on the car. I love and that they were supposed to be, in, Yeah, they were supposed to be sitting in period costumes, but because they didn't get it together, I had to finally force them, you know, because <laughs> you know, they they were told that if you, if you boys don't get this together this time around, um, you know, you're, 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 you're not going to, cause it doesn't, it means that you can't handle, um, the responsibility of being a group and being places on time. Right. Well, that makes sense. So yeah, no, it does. It does. And the, and the guy that I had producing him was, uh, was very tough. Nice guy with him and I, we, we got along, but nice guy, but very tough. Yeah. And then, uh, Oh, another person I photographed, uh, was a guy called Swamp Dog. I'm not familiar with Swamp Dog. Okay, look him up. Okay, <laughs> okay. You, you think the album? You think the you think the album that I did with Hank Crawford is bad? <laughs> he did a record. Look it up. I'm going to look it up right Rat now. On. Yeah, Swamp Dog. He did an album called Rat On. Okay. R A T Swamp Swamp Dog D O G G. Oh, get D O G G. Yeah, and he did an album, and on the album cover, he's rioting a giant rat. Oh, I just pulled it up. Oh my god! <laughs> and and critics have classified this as being one of the worst album covers in life. <laughs> okay, this is something else. But he he was he was yeah he was he I mean he's a hell of an artist, uh, producer. And, okay. Uh, you know we we had a good time for photographing because the art director was very stiff and. Um, <laughs> The, the next album that I did was, uh, uh, I did an album cover for him called Finally Caught Up With Myself, and I did a double exposure on that, him pointing at himself. Oh, okay. Two exposures, both pointing at himself. So uh, I don't know if that's still around. But yeah, the one on the, one on the rat is... Uh, that, <laughs> I'm looking at that right now. That is something else. Yeah, yeah disgusting. Oh, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> I pretty... Uh, that, yeah. yeah, that's. <laughs> you did a record call, uh, "Mama's Baby, Daddy's Navy." Okay. <laughs> and if you get a chance, play it. I mean, it's it's a funny song. It's a funny song. Oh yes, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna check that out as soon as as soon as we wrap yeah, up you'll, here. You, you'll find it on you. You'll find it on YouTube. Mama's <laughs> Baby, Daddy's Navy. Oh my gosh. <laughs> so. Like you were at, you were at Woodstock, and I, I've yeah. seen some pictures of you uh, that you four shot. Days. You were there the four whole days. four days. Yeah. Oh my gosh! Well, I had to I had to leave when Hendrix came on. I had to leave before Hendrix came on because oh. I was so exhausted, 
and I was, um, I had my, I had myself and my assistant, we were so exhausted because we'd been up that last couple of nights because the who came on, oh, yeah. um, Janice and, uh, we had to get back. We had deadlines. Oh, wow. And so I had to leave early that morning and drive back because we had to take 15 minute breaks. She drove for 15 minutes. I drove for 15 minutes to come back to the city. That's oh. how tired we were. Wow. Gee, that, yeah, because that's, that's not a short ride from Woodstock back to the city. Oh my yeah, God. and uh, that's a funny story also because I had a, a whole, I had a wealth of stuff. And uh, the producers of the movie came to me and another guy, Jim Marshall. Uh, oh, yeah, I'm familiar with Jim Marshall. Material. Yeah. So um, we, him and I had talked for a brief moment and said, yeah, you know, we're not going to let them take advantage of us. Because there was a very bad, you know, you had to really... Um, not let these lawyers and people and managers try and talk you out of your stuff for like no money or, you know, you, you pay them for what you shot. Oh God. You know, and it was always, it was always one step away from that. Yeah. I, I, <clears> and I'm you had to that. be, you had to be tough. And, uh, you had a couple of people out there who were tough, you know, what was Jim Marshall and another guy named David Gar. Okay. And David Gar was like, he shot, he's, He's got thousands of covers. Him and another guy named Chuck Stewart. Chuck Stewart's got like about three, four thousand album covers out. Oh wow! He shot a lot of he shot a lot of jazz, a lot of jazz. Oh okay. Every major every major jazz artist uh, Chuck Stewart was involved with. I was just talking with somebody about that the other. Uh, I think it may have been a, a, another uh, photographer not too a couple of weeks ago about uh, classic jazz covers. Yeah. Oh, he was the master. Okay, you know? okay. And so was David Gard. David Gard so did a lot of folk music. Okay. And, a lot of, and also a good amount of jazz. But David Gard was like tough. I mean, he would, tell, he, would, he would tell a manager off in a minute. Oh, wow. And he, he would tell us, he would tell us who were the young guys, the newest guys on the block. There was only like about nine of us who were doing rock and roll, you know, oh, being geez. on the road and whatnot. And uh, working for record companies and magazines. And uh, he told us, he said, you don't, you don't sell your stuff short. If I catch you selling yourself short, I'm going to kick your ass. Blah, blah, blah. You go on. I mean, get in your face. Oh, wow. And he was right. Yeah. That's the thing about it. He was, he was right. Because managers would come along, they start talking a lot about it. You know? And uh, yeah, we'll pay you a dollar uh, for this. You have to cover your own transportation to get to us, though. You know? Oh, God. Uh, yeah. Yeah. yeah it, was, it was like that. And uh, so you you got a certain toughness. You had to have a certain toughness about you to deal with these people, like the Hendrix people. You know, you know they're very tight with their material. Yeah. You know, I mean, they're very. Uh, you know, I mean, which is understandable, but um, they they can border on the point of being ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so I mean, I, I again, I haven't had any. Uh, you know, I've heard stories. I haven't. Had, I've got like uh, um, pictures in the studio, as well as pictures in concert, um, and and some rare pictures of uh, an event that occurred on 137th Street, 138th Street, oh, really? in Manhattan, when when Hendrix showed up there. Yeah. So. Um, what kind of event was that? He just popped up. Uh, he wanted to go and play in Harlem because he felt that the black community is not aware of uh, him as an artist. Ah. And uh, but he and it's very strange because everybody's in R and D. But he got a, a, a decent reception. I mean, he got he uh, 
got some respect because, as you know, I mean, the guy was probably one of the greatest guitar players around. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> you know, there's stuff that, uh, again, I was very privileged to be in the studio and see him do. And, uh, you know, if, if you listen to Isabella, I mean, there's just so much going on. Yeah. Uh, yeah. that was not able to be done at that time because they didn't have the kind of multi-tracking, uh, refined. They had it, but it wasn't refined. Okay. Uh, to the point that it is to today, much of that stuff is easy now. But yeah. then, yeah, and that's when I said they called in Eddie Kramer, you yeah. know, to put it together. When I went into the studio, I know that night, um, we met for a second, talked for a second, and then I disappeared. Now, was that the case with a lot of artists where it, your interaction with them wasn't very extensive? Were you just going to, or did, did you, uh, did you, make any friendships with any of the artists? Yeah, well, I didn't want it to be extensive because I didn't want to be another person that they had to deal with. Ah, okay. You know, I mean, I didn't want... Studio is a very personal place. I mean, you know, it's not... It's, it's And the bigger the artist, you know, you got like a hangers-on, you got yeah. people who want to talk. And I just was introduced to them. Uh, we spoke for a second, and then I, like I said, I disappeared. I just, uh, you know... You know, uh, yeah, I was a myth. Was yeah, a myth. yeah. You know, not, not, you know, not, a, not even a rumor. You know, it's a rumor that he maybe no, no, no. <laughs> you know. Not even. No, no. Well, Jim, and uh, you find that when you they respect you for that, you know, and uh, yeah, you know, you get it was the same thing with the Zeppelin. The Zeppelin was the same thing. You know. And and how often did you get to shoot uh, Zeppelin? Zeppelin, just one time. Okay. One time when they first came here, when they first when they first hit the country. Oh wow! The first album. That's fantastic. I saw those pictures and and I love Led Zeppelin. Yeah, uh, Zeppelin and Hendrix. Are we, two did a, we did favorites. a. We did a. I was just saying that Led Zeppelin and, and Hendrix are two of my all time favorites, as a lot of people I'm sure could say. But. Yeah, yeah, and they they were uh, pleasant to work with. I mean, they were. Uh, I saw again where they came in. It was a strange studio, Atlantic Studio, and uh, they really had to get down to business. So again, stayed out of the way. I was able to get them a, a sitting session uh, earlier the day before, I think, oh, uh, where they're sitting you know, with a big painting in the background. So that's fantastic. Where can people see your work? I know you've got the the website. Uh, what is the the address for that again? Well, uh, you mean the website that's up now? Yeah, yeah. Where people can go and take a look at your work, and I know you've got some uh, gallery prints oh, for sale. Uh, they can go to Wikipedia. They can go to Wikipedia. Okay. And they can go to uh, the Jim Cummins collection. You just put those two things in, and they'll come up. And do you do, uh, are you still shooting? Say again? Are you still actively shooting uh, professionally or have you retired or? Yeah, I'm still, I'm still working. Uh, I'm not working as much as I used to. Uh, right now, what I'm, more of what I'm doing now is I'm having fun shooting. 
I mean, I get, <laughs> you know, some busy because the business has, has changed. Yeah. And there's not a lot of work out here, to be quite, you know, perfectly honest with you. Really? Oh. You know, there's not a lot of, a lot of stuff has dried up, just dried up. Oh, and gosh. so, uh, but I have some things that I do. And then one of the other things that I've resigned myself to is I'm just going to have fun shooting. I got a stuff up on Facebook, got a page up on Facebook. If you look there, you'll see, well, follow Facebook. You'll see stuff that I put up from time to time. And that's having fun. I mean, that's from people to buildings to weird situations on the street. Oh, you know, man, that's awesome. Uh, having fun doing that. And then it looks like what I'm stepping into now, I'm stepping into a lecture series. I've been doing lectures, but now I think it's going to become a regular thing where I'm going to hold this workshop. Oh, and that's what, and uh, as that's what's uh, what, what's coming up in uh, a couple of weeks in November. You're, you're going to be doing a workshop like you'd mentioned. Seventeenth, yeah. Okay. Seventeenth. Excellent. And and uh, yeah. and you said this. So this this should be an ongoing thing. And, and is this going to be something that's in the uh, tri-state New Jersey New York area, or is it going to be something that kind of travels around and, and you're going to go to different areas? Well, yeah, it might. I mean, we're doing this one first. Mel and I are doing this one first. And, uh, see how, well, I mean, I'm going to do it again. I mean, because I enjoy, um, at this point now, seeing, how, you know, how much information I can give out to people, you know, as far as like what to do in the business now, where it's going. Okay. Uh, a lot of things that I, that I see that are happening, uh, you know, I, I want to be able to pass on to people, you know, because it's, it's tough now. And if you don't know or have some kind of idea as to where it's going or, you know, an inkling, uh, it's even tougher. How can people... So I want to be able to, you know, pass pass the word on. How can know, how can people you know, find out people, about help, these? Help people. Huh? How can people find out about the, the, the seminars that you're doing? Uh, and maybe get... How do people find out what yeah. I do? Yeah. There, is there a website for the for the lecture series that you're doing? Yeah. Facebook. Facebook. Okay. Oh, so it's all on Facebook. Okay, great. Yeah, Facebook and uh, Wikipedia. Okay. All right. And um, the Jim Cummins Collection. The Jim Cummins Collection is stuff that's been done, okay? Mm -hmm. Same thing with um, the things on Wikipedia. I mean, you may find a few different things, but the, the new stuff, stuff I've just been go out and shoot, is up on Facebook. I really appreciate your time tonight, Jim. Thank you so much. Okay, and I'll send you, this, uh, I'll send you some material. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett. 
Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any fantasy points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. 